We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And we're here Tuesday morning Pacific time recording this after the Lakers lost 108-107 in a tough game to the Miami Heat where Anthony Davis went out most of the second half and the Lakers were down to six guys after D'Angelo Russell got thrown out. So yeah, it was a tough one. It was (laughs) a rock fight and those guys were super tired as the Lakers battled through uh, having a six-man rotation, but they didn't even throw Max in at any point in the game. So mm-hmm. are you upset at all at that fact, at least in that last possession where you're only on offense, there's only one uh, shot attempt, you know, you're not going to have to be cold playing on defense. He had a rough night, but I don't know. There's a lot of people complain, bitching, for lack of a better word, that Cam Reddish was in the game wa- taking a wide-open shot. Do you feel the same, or how are you feeling after this? this bad loss. I think there are a couple ways you can look at it. Like you could have put Prince in the corner either by just starting him in that spot. And if you remember the beginning of that play involved two, like two man actions trying to get an inbounds. And one of them Mm -hmm. was Cam Reddish kind of running in a circle back to the corner. So in theory, that was an option for him to catch and shoot. I would so much rather have Prince there and and Cam inbounding or Max inbounding or, I mean, that's it. (laughs) You don't have any other options Mm -hmm. uh, unless you want to go to the G League guys or Max Lewis. But I think just the positioning could have been different or you could have run like a a hammer flare screen. So once Prince inbounded the ball, if you really didn't trust Reddish to inbound the ball, you could have then had Reddish set that that flare screen for Prince, which would have worked great because it was that that, that corner man's defender. He's the one that needs to go help. And uh, if Woods man, you know, stops the drive. So you knew that player, you know, that's where you put the shooter. When you're drawing the play up, you're trying to figure out, all right, who do we want to have the ball in their hands, making the decision, who's inbounding, 
where's everyone else and what are their jobs on these plays? LeBron, we want him on ball. Perfect. Check. We want, you know, Torian Prince as a shooter and eh, not really with how this, it was set up. Now, I do think you can look at that play and say that Cam should have made the one more pass to Prince, but there was not a lot of time left. And if that's really what you're aiming for, you should have just put Prince in the corner. You could have additionally put Reeves in the corner if you wanted to and stuck Cam or Prince on the LeBron side of the court initially. So that was an option. So I think like from a design standpoint, it was a pretty good play. I like the play design. The positioning of players within the play could have been tweaked or if you didn't want to do that, I'd, I'd have a, a hammer flare in there. And then I think the other thing you could look at is on LeBron's drive, he drew the help. If he didn't draw the help, he was going to get a layup. So he drew the help. He knew he had a 2v1 on the weak side. He had to read between, he had to read one defender and decide whether he was going to skip pass or hit Wood on the dump off. And Wood had like full inside position on the defender in a way that Christian Wood was open. And if Wood had gotten outside that player and kind of pinned them in, there would have been no closeout to Cam Reddish at all. That I think Wood's positioning relative to that help defender is what I would want the player reading. Again, it's tough, but it's not like it's not a thing that LeBron has read before. It's, I don't know, man, that's, that's basketball. So I think you can criticize like Cam for not hitting the shot, Cam for not passing the ball, LeBron for not getting Wood on the dump off, Ham for how he drew the play up. There's so many things you can point at, but at the end of the day, you got a wide open corner stationary catch and shoot three for an NBA player and he didn't knock it down. And there were other opportunities in those final two or three minutes where the Lakers did get open threes for better shooters and they didn't knock those shots down. So with as many, as much turmoil as the team was working through with D'Lo thrown out, AD getting injured, other guys not able to play. They were right there and they could have won this game if they just hit a couple shots late. But it's yet another one of those games, Tom, where we see like four or five guys basically playing the entirety of the fourth quarter and just being absolutely gassed by the end of the game. And it it doesn't seem I feel like something needs to change there. We shouldn't have guys playing, you know, 12 to 15 to 18 minutes in a row and be, then be surprised when they don't have their legs to hit jumpers late in the game. Yeah, last night was a little bit of a, an exception, and I agree that it has been a pattern lately. You know, with Christian Wood especially, um, but they didn't have a choice, right? Like they didn't. They they had Max Christie, and that's it. And he was playing rough. Um, mm-hmm. Part of what I was concerned about with him coming into the season, he showed flashes of really nice plays, um, under control pull ups, have a low gather, get to the rim layup, and then he'll you know, be over aggressive on hand checking while chasing a guy around screens and give up a, you know, a, a, a foul off ball with 18 seconds left on the shot clock where it's like, dude, you don't, you don't have to be that aggressive. So he's still finding his place. That said, again, this is just one possession. This is just one action. You know, it would help to have maybe some fresh legs. If you're going to have a guy spot up out there, like you said, um, but we'll have to keep an eye on this fourth quarter rotation uh, you know, Lakers have had a an awful plus minus in the first quarter, which has led them to have a you know a better to you know above average you know plus minus in that second half, where they've been coming back some from some of these big deficits in their wins. This game was fairly connected, most of it. They were uh, down by I think twelve is the largest they got there in the third quarter. Started to get away from them, but on positive notes, Tim, the Lakers stayed connected. 
They fought through and got stops, even though Miami missed some open shots. They got stops without their rim protector, Anthony Davis. They got stops, you know, with a tired team. And Austin Reeves came through big in that game. I almost wish I would have liked to see a little bit more of him on ball, but he ended up with 23, 10, and 9, just one assist away from a triple-double. And he's been slowly ramping up into, I don't think that's what we were expecting from him preseason, but 9 for 14, 3 for 8 from 3, you know, taking a lot of these pull-ups off the dribble. After a pretty disastrous first four or so games, he's steadily risen and started to look like himself over the last couple. Yeah, he's looking much better. And even when he wasn't hitting his shots the first few games, he was doing the right things. Uh, I certainly think there were, you know, misreads by him and D'Lo and LeBron and others from a passing standpoint. But for the most part, his playmaking was good. He was in the right positions. He was taking good shots. He was taking shots we feel comfortable with him taking. He was making the one more passes. He was crashing the glass, which has been a big change for him. That was an element of his game that last season just didn't really exist. And this season, he's he's really stepped up to the plate and done a better job with it. I mentioned it on the stream last night. He averaged 1.4 offensive rebounding opportunities per game last season, which was like 15th ranked on the team. This season, he ranks third behind only AD and Rui, and he's averaging three offensive rebound chances a game. So he's he's pressuring you on offense. He's crashing on defense. We'll talk about the boxing out with him and others, but he's found other ways to impact the game even when his shot hasn't fallen. And now that his shot is falling, now he's getting close to those triple doubles because the rebounds have kind of been there. But it's uh, it's you know hitting his shots a little bit more and other guys hitting shots when he's feeding them a little bit better because he had been a little bit unlucky in that regard when you compare the quality of shots versus the actual effectiveness on shots he was generating. So he's bouncing back in a number of ways. It's been great to see this team needs them. They look like a different team when they have that guy performing like he does. And I don't know, man, like a lot of things have gotten better between individual player performance and like the scheme and different things. But you were just down so many guys that like you still end up losing. But there are a lot of underlying little things that when you throw Rui and Vando and Hayes and all these other guys back and Gabe Vincent back into the the, the thick of things, this should be a good team. So I'm not like, I don't know, we, we can, I guess, check on how we're feeling about the team. But Austin being back is one big piece of what we expected this team to be. And, and it's great to see that happen. He and D'Lo and LeBron still need to clean up their turnovers. They had 12 of the 17 turnovers among those three guys. Um with Austin having four, was it LeBron having five and D'Lo having three? So, yeah, yep. some of these guys are are missing reads. Like there was, there was one there where LeBron was swinging it to Cam after Cam had already started to cut before Braun even got the ball, and he was just trying to do a touch, you know, swing pass to the left wing, and and Cam made made a good read to cut there, and 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 it's just a little out of rhythm chemistry things that they got to clean up and mm-hmm. making the wrong reads. You know, like you said, a lot of these for Reeves specifically has been um, his skip passes have been poor reads and he's missing guys kind of on the weak side or uh, the simpler pass one pass away. So lots of things they can clean up there, but ultimately the Lakers, 
I'm still optimistic, at least as far as my my bigger picture um, plans for this team, because we we still haven't seen them with Vando at all this season. You know, Gabe Vincent's been out here a couple games now. Uh, Rui's been out for about a week, it seems like. So all that said, they've also played one of the toughest schedules. And yeah, I I would like to see this team, you know, 85 percent healthy before I start to. You know, with with seven to ten games before I start to kind of have more uh, uh, long term concerns, because the things we've been concerned about, like some of the rotations with D'Lo and Braun staggering, I feel like we've started to see them clean that up already, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we saw growth when it came to the rotations uh, up until like everybody getting injured, and now it's you, you really can't criticize the lineups that are out there when you only yeah. have eight or fewer players available in, in sure. at a given moment in a given game. Uh, yeah, but we've seen growth there. We've seen growth with the scheme. Like the first few games, this team was just kind of installing their basics. They were putting the staples in, they were running them. And whenever they were facing like ice coverage or different unique things from a help standpoint, they just weren't ready yet. They hadn't worked on that. This is a new roster. These guys individually have, you know, faced these various things in the past in different situations, some of them with this Lakers team, but you have to like actually go through and install everything first before everybody's ready to do it instantly. And now that they've gotten some of that down, all of a sudden, you know, a game or two ago when teams are icing, it's like not a problem whatsoever. Whereas it was a jarring experience the first couple of games of the season. Uh, we're seeing the team be much smarter about weak side players and how they're cutting or screening for each other. They're not just standing around like they were the first couple of games of the season. So that's a nice little improvement. We're seeing the team figure out more of the nuanced like player positioning within some of their actions in a five out alignment. We've seen a lot of situations where they're trying to run these wing ball screens towards the middle with an empty side. Sometimes it'll be just a normal screen. Sometimes it'll be a double drag. They're doing it from the wing rather than the top of the key so that the gap between where the ball handler is and the next perimeter player is larger. So that when a defender tries to stunt over and help on the drive, it it takes them out of position to recover to their man. And we saw Max Christie get a layup on a spot up off of that. We saw some catch and shoot threes for Christian Wood and other guys off of that last night. We saw LeBron James stampede cuts. We saw Cam Reddish stampede cut. Like the Lakers are doing the right things to be a better pick and roll team, be a better post up team, be a better ISO team within a five out alignment with this roster and we're starting like those little steps were what i needed to see to have more confidence in in this team and i think it's masked somewhat just by how many players are out but once you do get guys back assuming you can get them up to speed as well like i don't know we're seeing a lot of the growth we wanted to see and if this were a healthy team the record's better right now and we're pretty happy with the season so i'm trying to separate like what the results are with what the process has been and I don't know game after game. It seems like the team's able to generate good looks. They're not hitting them. I don't know. Tom, what what did you say their three point percentage rank is like this team is massively underperforming right now. I have a couple here for you that, that are a little alarming, but the first one is non heave three point percentage second to last in the league, uh, only behind the Portland trailblazers. I have this one looking up some of their, uh, ranges on nba.com tim from 15 to 19 feet they're shooting 35 percent, 17 for 48 um and yeah overall they're like 
extremely, extremely poor underperforming three-point shooting team right now. And I, I, I'm trying to reconcile that with like, okay, start of the season, maybe these guys are out of rhythm, you know, three, four, five games in a row. But it's, it's really been like all the games except for maybe one where the Lakers have shot under what we expect them to. Um, and maybe it's a function of the kinds of shots they're getting or them trying to change up their shot diet. I know there's, there's at least two or three D low pull-ups that are, you know, a little heat checky when he's not quite feeling it yet. Um, you know, Austin is factored into that. He shot the ball really poorly starting the season. So he's already starting to regress, uh, positively. Um, is Cam Reddish going to be in the rotation permanently? He's, 15 percent right now so i'll try to factor all these things in are you concerned long term with the the shooting overall or you think it's just a factor of the situation i'm mostly thinking it's a factor of the situation and just some bad shooting luck and variance uh hitting against this team i'm glad that they're not like benching guys like we, we they're not going to bench Reeves. They weren't benching Vincent because they weren't ending their threes. D'Lo had a bad shooting game a couple games ago against Orlando. That doesn't mean that he's not going to play again. Like sticking with guys, letting them know they trust you. And, you know, that gives players confidence that keeps them out of their own heads. And we've seen Reeves back bounce from it. I expect we're going to see other guys bounce back from it. If we look at the shot quality generated for this team, just based on my tracking on, on half court threes, compared to just what average shooters should be expected to shoot, uh, c- comparing that with what they've actually have done, they're underperforming by like four and a half percent on their threes right now, just for average shooters. And I think this team has better than average shooters in a lot of positions with Reeves, with D'Lo, with like LeBron should be able to do a good job and have a bounce back year after having a bad season last year. Torian Prince is a very good three-point shooter. Like Christie's a good three-point shooter, hasn't played a whole lot, but also hasn't shot well. Like Cam isn't a good three-point shooter, but he's also not this bad. Gabe Vincent is a better three-point shooter than we've seen. Like, it seems like just about everybody has shown us, you know, a, a bad version of themselves, and we should expect better from them in general. And when I look at how high quality some of the shots the team is generating are, I feel pretty comfortable that that they will bounce back. And this, you know, when we hit the other side of the shooting luck thing and we're getting overperformance, this offense is going to be scary. And I think when we get more of the normal, like, here's their true talent, based on the quality they're getting, that's still going to be pretty good offense. So I'm not worried about that, but it doesn't make it any less real right now. And it stinks and you're losing games because of it. But thankfully there are 70 something games left. Yeah. Good call mentioning Gabe as well with, uh, you know, him starting the season slow. And uh, I think overall the shooting will come there. It's just some, some of the shots, I think some of the diet can be, some of the fat can be trimmed out as well. I think Mm -hmm. so. That'll be good to see. Um, what have you seen? Lots been made up in the last few games, rightfully so, about the Lakers' defensive rebounding and them giving up too many second-chance points, too many offensive rebounds to the other team. They gave up 11 offensive rebounds to the Heat, but it it didn't seem to hurt them quite as much, at least in that game, as it did against Orlando. Uh, where are we at as a, a quick check-in on that part of the, the team's beginning, trying to clean that up? Yeah, it it needs to be better. The Lakers, from a defensive rebounding standpoint, when we look at how they stack up with other teams in the league, they're at 16th right now, and it feels worse than that. And it's a small sample, only seven games. Uh, 
this team has work to do. Like they're down a lot of bodies. So we've got tired players. I've noticed that the rebounding has been worse when you see these guys out there for 10, 15 minutes in a row. And so when you're giving, you know, when you're not boxing out the same way in overtime that you were in the first and second quarter, that's not necessarily surprising. And when we get the full roster back and guys are healthy, I don't think that piece of it will be as much of an issue, but I do still think the team is, is making themselves vulnerable. Like Miami is not a good offensive rebounding team. They, we talked about it in the pregame show. They came into that game ranked 27th in offensive rebounding percentage. Now they're 26th after this game, but even against teams that don't really crash or win a lot of those, LA's been vulnerable because so many players aren't boxing out consistently. They're not checking to see if their man is crashing. And if so, putting a body on him. And if not, like trying to help sandwich rebound or kind of hang out in the middle, mid mid range area to take like long rebounds. Um, LA can do better with that. And it's not just their guards. It's not just their bigs. It's not just their wings. It seems to be across the board. And it's something that can certainly be fixed. I've seen it be fixed. It's, it's like an effort thing, but it's not just yelling at the guys to try harder. I, I, as I presented on the stream last night, I think the team tracking how they're doing, like set the expectation, track, and then hold the guys accountable. If you don't set the expectation, you can't just be yelling at guys, hey, we need to be better. Like, I expect you to do this. But, oh, well, coach, you never told me that you needed me to do that. Like, what, what's the job? What's the expectation? You need to clarify if you are a point guard defending a shooter in the corner when a shot goes up and my man's not crashing, what's my job? Do I just run in transition? Do I go sandwich rebound? Do I hang out in the mid-range area? That is an actual coaching decision that needs to be made. And all five players on the court at all times need to know what the expectation is. Then you can track it. And if you don't track it and you're only looking at, you know, yelling at guys who gave up offensive rebounds, that's, you know, you're addressing some of the behavior, but there will be other guys doing the exact same thing, making the same mistakes, but the shot just went in. So there was no offensive rebound or the ball bounced the other way. So it wasn't exposed. So actually tracking the behavior and trying to focus your coaching to that behavior and being transparent about it is a way to get guys to improve. I've seen it again and again. I've been part of doing that. And if you stop paying attention to it, as I did the first time I did this, I made the mistake. We, we were doing a much better job after we were tracking it and players in the locker room realized, oh, our teammate isn't doing you know their job. And some of that locker room leadership stepped up. We got better, but then after we got better, we stopped focusing on it as much, and then we went right back down. So it needs to be a consistent messaging. It is a culture thing, and it's not confined to a player or two, but any given game, you can definitely pull some clips of like, oh, look at D'Lo, let this guy run by it. Oh, look at LeBron not trying. Oh, look at AD, you know, not boxing this guy out. And on top of all of that, I think the, the lineups the team throws out there certainly matters as well. All things equal, it's better to be bigger. And Ellie's missing a bunch of dudes right now. So you can't really complain about that at this moment, but that is, you know, one tick in the favoring bigger lineups discussion. I think that that needs to be factored in as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a give and take, right? Cause they start to see, you know, in that Clippers game, how they were able to get good stops, get the team out in transition, um, scoring fast break, but then the half court offense starts to suffer a little bit. So, that's why we want to see this full roster around to be able to judge them properly. So speaking of Tim, uh, as far as what we are getting on the court, uh, you've been tracking the scheme as you always do. 
wanted to do another scheme check in on some of the stuff you've seen they were running. I know you were tweeting about it this morning about them adjusting the uh, the location of their double drags, kind of spacing things out, getting some wing threes um, to kind of you know deter the stunt from the help. So, what other kind of scheme you know tweaks are you noticing from the team so far? Yeah, it's been a lot of little things. Like they have installed their major actions and they continue to run like that same stuff. We're not seeing massive amounts of plays being installed every single game at this point. They've got a solid, I don't know, let's say like 10 plays that they'll run often and then some others that they'll, you know, run here and there. But within those 10 things, it's about like, okay, well, when we run this play, how do we tweak our positioning so it, it sets us up better? Uh, some of what we've seen them do is taking plays they ran in four out, one in and trying to run them in five out. And the spacing principles are a little bit different in five out because you have an extra player on the perimeter. So you're closer together, which can be an issue if you're all just standing still. Uh, but LA's done a much better job at designing it so that when they are running ball screens, the gaps that they are driving into are bigger than you might expect just by like looking at what five out might look like if everybody's standing still. So they're still improving there, but it's absolutely something that's feasible. And we're seeing those little things with the player positioning and the off-ball movement with cutting and screening get better. And it's made a big difference in effectiveness. And we're seeing the Lakers pick and roll attack just improve and improve and improve. And like they, they're coming off of a season high efficiency in ball screens against Miami. And I don't know, we're, we're seeing a lot of teams really struggle to defend like Reeves and D'Lo, they can hit the pull-up threes. They can also hit the, the middies. And when you've got AD rolling hard, you have to stick with him. And so a lot of teams are choosing to try to stunt really hard off of perimeter players to help on drives while their big stay home on AD. And that is giving up open threes. It's giving up stampede cuts. And just the little tweaking of the spacing is making it so rather than a lightly contested shot, we're getting open shots in those situations. And I don't know. We're trending in the right direction. It is good stuff. Uh, another thing that, and I'll share my screen for those of you who are here with us today on the playback stream. If we take a look at the team's efficiency, or let's look at the expected efficiency game by game this season, and then quarter by quarter, and then this null, I need to just change the alias in Tableau. This is overtime. We've seen overall for the first quarter, the team uh, expected points per possession is 0.94. Their actual, which we see with the little pop-up there, has been 0.85. So they've been bad or relatively bad from a shot quality standpoint in the first quarter compared to the others. But they've shot even worse than that expectation. So it's made it even more of an issue. But I would say it has been an issue. And if we take out the most recent game, and you'll notice I haven't logged the second half of that most recent game yet. Look, they're at 0.91 expected points for possession over the first six games of the season. Uh, their actual was 0.79. So a big difference. And they've second quarter, they actually overperformed their expectation. Third quarter, they're about where they should be. Fourth quarter, they're about where they should be. So from a shot making standpoint, first quarters have been rough from a shot quality standpoint, first quarters and first halves have been really rough. And when we look at, quarter by quarter, game by game, you can see there's this big, big jump here with that game seven against Miami. We saw the play calling be much better. The team generate high quality shots. 
And it was the best game by far on the season from a shot quality standpoint for LA first quarter Miami. So hopefully that is a sign of things to come. I think the team game planned a bit better. They were running concepts that should work given what Miami does on defense right out of the gate, rather than waiting until halftime to make those adjustments. And if, if this shot quality piece continues that 1.13, which is very good, we're in much better shape, but Prior to that game seven against Miami, it was looking really, really concerning. So hopefully this is a trend rather than just a blip. If we look at things half by half, you can see how big of a difference there's been between the first half and the second half from a shot quality standpoint. And that to me is concerning. And if this continues, that's bad. What you how you can try to rationalize this might be like, oh, in certain games, like game two against uh, who's getting a Phoenix. They were doing things tactically that LA hadn't run into before. So it took them until halftime to adjust. And then they were better. Game five, who was. Yeah. Uh, uh, hang on. I'm, I need that's to- your. No, that's the um, Clippers game. Okay. Clippers game. And then the Orlando game after that, like more just rough stuff. But then in second half, did a great job. If we can get the team to, from a game planning standpoint, enter these games running the right stuff out of the gate and then on top of that still adjust well at halftime i I think this offense can be even better but i would say right now this is concerning to me like this isn't good is is this kind of a we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Could could this be a philosophy of let's, let's see what they run 
instead of like having a plan or an expectation of what a team will run in that first half. It could be. I wouldn't agree with that that approach, but it's it, a, like still not a good process. Yeah, yeah, I would say the process is bad, and and I'm actually curious now because I want to do a deep dive of this later as well. But when we look, uh, let's look half by half. When we look half by half, and we we just look at the series of plays. So this isn't a specific like delay is at one play. It's a it's a set of plays, but they're all from the same setup. They they start the same way. When we look first half, second half. It's not just that certain plays work and certain plays don't work. And it's like, oh, we only run the good plays in the second half. We're seeing the same things do better in, in, in certain halves. And let me, let's kind of filter out some of these ones that the, the volume is lower so that we can look at more meaningful data. So if we exclude those and now look at that expected efficiency, we'll take out the ones where they're not running a set. These are their one, two, three, four, seven most used uh, series, delay, double drag, ram, snap, the spread step up screens, the tight pin downs and the wide pin downs. In one, two, three, four, five of those, they've been substantially better and more effective in the second half running the same plays. And this is when people talk about, oh, everybody in the NBA, they run the same stuff. Well, sort of. A lot of the concepts are the same, but when and how you use them is what matters. The NBA is a rock, paper, scissors game. And if the defense, if you if you go into the film room and you see, okay, Miami, they're going to be using paper and they love using paper, you shouldn't be entering the game Q1 trying to run all of your rock sets. You got to go to the scissors. And LA's done a better job adjusting and playing that rock, paper, scissors game, which again, doesn't necessarily mean, oh, we need to run this one specific thing every game because that's the answer. It's going to be a different answer each game. And that's why in our pregame shows, I talk about here's what to expect from the defense from a coverage standpoint. And then I literally pull this list of series up and I say, we should run this one and this one today. And it's different each game because the opponent and what they do is different each game. So we've got the right stuff in the playbook. That should be encouraging to people. We're building in those little nuanced things so that rather than just like double drag, we're running different variants of double drag that get us into good looks and attack different types of defense. That's great. The positioning, we're tweaking that. That's great. The individual players, they're shooting better and scoring better. They're making better decisions. The chemistry better. That's great. The play calling needs to be better. And then once you get healthy, we're going to see the team perform better. So I think those two things for me are areas for opportunity. They're both certainly fixable and I think should improve. But right now, this is what I hope the team is seeing and and focusing on improving. Because you shouldn't be generating – Yeah. That are uh, 0.15 points per play more effective in the second half than the first half. I guess tying this back into the question we had last week was, you know, this team seems to be starting slow despite, in theory, having a good starting lineup, you know, composition. They have spacing, they have ball handling, they have, uh, they should have the defense, um, you know, the different roles covered there to be able to you know, give them uh, a competitive, not necessarily advantage, but a shot, right? And so far, you know, per the NBA's lineup data, you know, they've they've started five games together and uh, they have 13 minutes a game. And, I, you know, I know it's early for this, but minus 4.2 plus minus in those 13 minutes. It's usually, you know, six or so minutes in the first uh, quarter, six or so minutes in the third quarter, maybe a minute at the end of the half. You know, maybe closing that. I don't think that lineup has closed many games either, Tim. So 
would you consider making a change to that starting lineup and and once healthy, of course, once you have your different options in hopes to kind of retweak things or is this, you know, them getting more comfortable and maybe spending more time together to um, be able to, you know, improve some of these things you're talking about? I think it's a little bit of a mix like that, that grouping has scored uh, 1.04 points per possession, or uh, that's their expected efficiency. Their actual is 1.05. So you can't look at that five-man group and just say, ah, they've been unlucky. They're not hitting shots. Individual guys within that group, certainly you can say that, but that that lineup, when they're together, that hasn't been their issue. Um, When we look at their expected efficiency compared to just kind of the team average, it's a little bit below the, the, the norm of all the lineups that have played 10 or more half court possessions together, which isn't the highest of sample sizes, but gives us a way to filter out some of the tiny sample ones. I think you could certainly look at this grouping and, and try to see like, I, I don't know who, who do we want to play instead? Like looking at these other lineups, if you were to make a tweak, I, maybe it's like D low. We've been clamoring for wood in there. Mm, okay. So, so let's look at these lineups that have LeBron. Yeah, Wood while you AD. do while you do that, yeah, I think that's a tough one too because I think that you come into some questions defensively about you know is is LeBron going to be able to guard threes on a regular basis? Um, I mean, there's other lineups I wouldn't start that I've liked a lot, like you know the the AD LeBron Wood like Austin Gabe lineup was looking really good in the preseason and has looked good in flashes here, but uh, I wouldn't start that. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough. It's tough for me to say. Yeah, I just pulled up the lineups that have had that trio. So LeBron Wood AD that have played ten or more ten or more half court possessions. So like D'Lo Reeves LeBron Wood AD, they're at one point oh three expected points per possession. Their actual is much higher. That is a group wow. that if you're like, oh, wow, this group's really working, that's because they're overperforming right now. Right. And their actual expected efficiency is a little bit lower. It's about the same as, the, as that Prince starting lineup. Um, the group that had D'Lo Reddish, LeBron Wood AD, which we saw a couple games, it's actually fared pretty well. Uh, the group that has D'Lo Vincent, LeBron Wood AD, that's fared well. Reeves Reddish, LeBron Wood AD is fared well. I think in general, like these have been good groups. That one specific five-man lineup with D'Lo and Reeves in the backcourt hasn't as much, but it it should be able to. Like, I feel like you should be able to do better than this. And I don't know, part of what I'm looking at here, too, is first half to second half. Like, every single one of these groups has fared well in the second half. It's been yeah. the first half where – and that's why looking at lineup data can be really, really challenging because – Scheme, you can't seven games in because yeah, four bad Reeves games tanks that whole lineup, you know, exactly. And like, if you look at the actual efficiency on a seven game sample, I don't trust any of this. <laughs> like, this is way too small. That's why I want to use the expected efficiency. But even then, you want to try to be able to like adjust for the tactical piece, which I don't have an easy way to do. And and that's even with me tracking all of these things. And I don't expect anyone, you know, just watching the games to be able to adjust for something like that. It's it's much more of a, well, like, it feels this way to me. And to me, it feels like this group of D'Lo, Reeves, LeBron, Wood, AD should be able to do better than their shot quality so far. Um, but I think that, that Prince group offensively should do just fine as well. I think really the defense between those two groups is is more of the difference. And to your point, 
LeBron, he has to be more mobile and, and guard a little bit more. There's less of an ask on him from a rebounding standpoint. There's less of an ask from him from a rim protection standpoint with that group. And another thing with it defensively is I think from a coverage standpoint, you are much better able to, like, if you want to switch with a bigger group, you're in much better shape because you're more likely than not going to have someone that can protect the rim in a rim protecting position, even if 80s pulled out to the perimeter because you've got an extra player with wood in there compared to a smaller guy. And you can also hedge better for the exact same reason. So I think it gives you more pick and roll scheme versatility. And if the Lakers are like running out and like not running good plays on offense and then defensively trying to switch with a group where like LeBron's your power forward, I could totally understand why that wouldn't work well. So I don't know. I'm open to it. I think part of what has made me hesitant to buy into this as a starting group is that I think game to game, there's a situational element of playing Wood versus playing Hayes versus playing, you know, maybe Vando when he's healthy. And it's easier if you like map out 48 minutes of lineups, it's easier if you find those like one or two switches you want to flip to make that happen and be least disruptive if it's in the bench units and you want to go like LeBron, Wood, Hayes, Vando and like Reeves or something like that would be a fun lineup that should work on both ends of the court. That would be more of a bench group. So I don't know. I felt like starting the same way and then kind of adjusting as you go would make sense. But if, if that five man grouping can't improve their shot quality, and I would say, give them some time that, uh, Dilo Roos, Prince LeBron AD, if they can't be better then then, yeah, I, I think, you know, 10, 15 games in and we haven't been able to see this this group play all seven games together just yet. But this is something to monitor. And if the the shot quality for them is not where it needs to be and you think rotationally, you, you trust that Wood is going to be able to play every game and play real minutes every game, then you could move in that direction. But I think trying to make Wood more than he is and assume that he fits with every situation has been a mistake that he's fallen into with previous teams where he's paid a bunch of money and they want to play him like a starter um, or he's talented enough to be a starter because he doesn't fit every situation. And like in that Sacramento game, it was not smart to have him out there. It was a, we were actively leaking points defensively and offensively. He wasn't necessarily adding, I mean, he played well, but like conceptually, it's not like you had a gigantic advantage with him over a smaller player. So there will be times where it becomes situational and that's the piece where are you comfortable going into certain games saying the three man big group will not play well. We will see their net rating worse. We will see their defensive rating worse, their offensive rating worse because we're instead of only using them to win rock, paper, scissors, we are actively throwing rock out there against paper and hoping it'll work. So I don't know. This is why coaching is hard. Yeah, no, I feel you. I guess pivoting to something similar, but a little bit different here is there's a lot that's been made here for good reason. I think about the minutes when LeBron is off the floor and them trying to keep LeBron's minutes down, which has been, you know, hard, if not (laughs) impossible. He's gone, you know, they started the season, that Denver game, 29 minutes. Granted, they were down fairly substantially. Most of that game felt out of the Lakers control. I would say every other game, except for maybe the second half of Orlando, felt within reach, right? So 29 minutes in game one, 35 in game two, 39 in game three. That was an overtime against Sacramento. 
33 against Orlando at home, uh, 42 against the Clippers, another overtime game, <laughs> two overtime games in their first seven, Sam, and then 35 against at Orlando and uh, 37 last night in Miami. So they haven't been able to keep him off the floor a little bit. Obviously that is factored in with their injuries and, and all that, but how does this team kind of withstand some of their non LeBron minutes, despite, you know, weathering some of these injuries right now? Yeah. I, I think maybe a little bit is being made a little too much is being made of his minutes and 80s minutes, just because of, like we've had two overtime games of seven. And right now those are two healthy guys in like, a seven or eight man rotation and all of those players or at least all of those starters are going to play a bunch yeah if we move the overtime minutes lebron's average right now this season is 34.3 which would be the second lowest of his career so i think the overtime minutes right now are massively skewing that sample Mm -hmm. from that standpoint that's what i'd have to say now if he is playing the second lowest minutes per game of his career you have more and more of those non-LeBron minutes, which historically for the Lakers have been problematic. And yeah. So that I think is still very much a, a real question. And like, how do we make the most of this? And that's where I think, again, being healthy is really important. Being able to throw lineups out there that make sense will be really important. Um, if you don't have your best offensive player out there, it's, it's going to hurt you. <laughs> if we look at the lineups that have, not had LeBron in them that have played a lot this season. Here are the six of them. And let's see, which have played most. And they're not gigantic samples, but this Vincent Prince Rui AD group, this is just total half court possessions. Right. Okay. Um, That group is going to say (laughs) that D'Lo Christie Wood Hayes AD lineup. (laughs) (laughs) 0.68. That's woo. Yeah, yeah. Only uh, 10 possessions for them, but they have not been generating much of anything in those 10 possessions. Uh, yeah, among these groups, I mean, let's see, this one grades out the best. Reeves, Prince, Ruri, Wood, AD. That's interesting. That's a big group. You've got ball handling, off-screen shooting. You've got spacing. You have AD. Like, you can run ball screens. You can run off-screen stuff. You can post up. If you're going to get switches, you have three guys in that lineup that can post up smaller defenders. So, like, that's a group that should make sense. They've underperformed their shot quality a little bit so far on this small sample, but that is a group that that makes a bit of sense. Holy crap, Tom. The actual points per possession for that Hilo <laughs> Christie Wood Hayes AD group is 0.17. Bro, is that like how, <laughs> how is that possible? How is it must that just possible? be like a bunch of turnovers. In, in 10 okay, in 10 possessions. Yeah, let me see. That's let's, crazy. Let's see here. Uh, they got a, a defense of three seconds. Okay, yeah, they've had four <laughs> turnovers in 10 possessions. One trip to the free throw line, two catch and shoot threes, one pull up three, one long mid-range, long mid-range, one short mid-range. So they haven't gotten to the rim once, and they've turned the ball over four times. Uh, oh, so that's that's how that happened with that group. But I don't know. I would start with like looking at these and saying, like, what's working? How do we get those groups playing a little bit more? I think this roster when healthy, and that's the key thing here, when healthy, like you've got the dudes to be able to run lineups out there that work well to me. Like you've got ball handling, you've got AD can certainly be a center of gravity. You can run the off screen stuff with him, the post up stuff with him. You can use him as a role man. Like this isn't a roster that's built in a way where like when LeBron doesn't play, you don't have anything to run. offensively. And defensively, 
I don't think that the absence of LeBron is concerning either from a lineup construction standpoint. So this should be the best Lakers team set up to withstand those minutes. Exactly. I just That's think, what I keep thinking. Yeah, sorry. And I'm curious, like, what has – hang on. Let's, let's pull up PBP stats. Uh, I'm curious what the Lakers' minutes have looked like. So, all right, we're going to go through this together. Please bear with me. So, no LeBron. But also, I'd say let's not have – like, we're not going to have any of the G League guys. Let's say no Christie, no Reddish. And let's keep it to lineups that consist of AD, D'Lo, Wood, Prince, Rui, Gabe, Hayes, Reeves. Is that fair? I feel like th- those are like everybody healthy. Those guys are your rotation players. Christy and Reddish are more on the fringes. Despite that, 56 in, in points in 61 possessions, that is a, a 92 offensive rating. That is not very good. And mm-hmm. defensively, they've given getting rocked. Uh, 83 points and 63 processions, a 132 defensive rating. <laughs> Opponents have only shot 35% on their threes, which usually, like if it's like, oh, well, this is a small, a small sample, there's some shooting luck, that's usually something you'd look at that has not been the issue. Uh, let's see, shot quality, 0.53 for opponents. For the Lakers, it's been 0.52. So Lakers shot 27% on their threes with LeBron out of the game. They've shot, oh my Lord, 32% on their two-pointers with LeBron out of the game? Jeez. Wow. Okay, so there's your difference. Opponents shooting 62%, Lakers shooting 32% on their twos. Like literally yeah. twice as many. Twice as efficient on twos. Jesus. Dang. Okay, so if we're looking at, like, why might that be and, like, what do we do about that? Like, I don't know. Let's add another filter. Let's say let's say AD's in the game and we're going to say Hayes is not in the game. So we're not doing anything wild. And still, the 80, no LeBron minutes, you're still only scoring 30, just about the same exact percentage at the rim. Yuck. I think this is yuck, a yuck. part of, of their, you know, when AD kind of posts up um, without LeBron in the game and they're help beating, you know, uh, concepts. Like, I, I think you should try it, try it with Cam in because I do think he – he or Christie's probably going to be in the rotation long term, right? Mm-hmm. So, and he's had a lot of minutes here over the last week or so. Yeah, uh, it does look a little bit better for what it's worth on the two point field goal percentage, but still pretty bad efficiency wise. Yeah, still at a ninety three offensive rating. They're better on the twos, but they're shooting twenty one percent on the threes, <laughs> uh, which he's not been helping with. And then the opposing three point percentage in those minutes that include. Reddish, it's up to 45%. Because so. he's really bad on the weak side, rotating at the right place, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, and he hasn't been alone in that, to be fair. Uh, there's yep. been several issues with like Prince and Wood. But yeah, they got a couple holes that they can fill and only so many fingers. You know what I mean? Yep. From a expected efficiency standpoint for the Lakers half-court offense, they're at 1.01 without LeBron and 1.07 with LeBron. So okay. Obviously, you're better with LeBron in the game. Um, it but seems it's got to like be better. It's been so much worse too. It's it's both ends of the court, which is weird. And I think part of it is you've just been missing a lot of your other bigger bodies. And sure. Like with, with Rui playing a little bit more, and he hasn't played all that well. Yeah. Like that'll help when Vando's back. That'll help. Like part of 
part of this is is really just health. So I think it's it's too early for us to say this can't work, but we can certainly look at the results as well as like the shot quality and say it hasn't worked. Um, and you still do have when a little bit more healthy than they are right now, you have the personnel to be better than this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a big stretch of this has been with like Austin Reeves, not playing like himself with Gabe Vincent, not hitting any of his shots with D really missing like, half the season. Yeah. Like y- you've missed important guys and then other guys just haven't played up to their standard. And that will absolutely skew even like the, the result data in the seven game sample size. So it's, it's bad, but it's not like, oh, no, we're doomed. We've got 70 games left to figure this over 70 games left to figure this out and sh- should be. It's hard to be less healthy than we are right now. Uh, somehow, with all of these injuries, LeBron and AD have been the ones that have been healthy, although we saw AD go out last game. Hopefully he's, he's back soon. If he's not, that's certainly problematic. And I think it's time to start seeing some Colin Castleton. Barring, I guess, if, if Hayes is able to play or not. But uh, I don't know. There, there are certainly positive things from a process standpoint, but also things like this that are concerning and, you know, they need to clean up. For sure. All right. Well, that's a good place for us to leave it for the public pod. Those of you all playback, stick around. We're going to close this one out. Stick around. And uh, we are going to record our bonus pod here. Just a sec. Tam, I want to ask you what your left con is. You know, your, your overall worriedness. Talk a little bit about AD and LeBron individually, because I think they've both been great, all things considered. And yeah, just kind of chat and have a little bit looser feel. If you want to get in on that, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, send us a screenshot, DM that to Tim, myself, or the pod account. And uh, you can also subscribe to our exclusive Discord tiers where you can get you know, six extra pods a month. We'll do one bonus pod a month, and then every other week we're doing Q&As. You get early access to our videos. You're going to get discount on merch once we finalize that, which I'm going to try and work on this week. So lots of extra perks, Tim. Uh, as always, thank you to everybody for supporting the show. And yeah, man, that's the outro for, for the playback peeps. Stick around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.